Hey everyone, yes I am back, welcome to season 2, take 2, with episode 32. Uh, firstly, let me apologise for, for basically disappearing on you after that fantastic episode with Katie that kicked off season 2. Um, things literally just got a bit crazy folks, and I honestly I didn't think you would miss me. Um, but I've got to just say thank you so much to all those who've messaged asking when more episodes were coming and is it coming back and yeah wow that really kind of warmed my heart to know that you guys enjoyed the podcast and wanted more um, so very very long overdue um, I thought I'd jump back in the the nights are dark the weather's cold so what better time to sit in a nice warm office and get back on track with the Woofing Possum podcast it's kicking off season two part two with episode 32. So I've titled this episode Emotional States and Spiders. Um, A bit of a strange one, I know, but hopefully it will all make sense as as we get into it. Now, as I've mentioned many times on the podcast, one of my favourite things to do is is people watching, dog watching, kind of, whether it's from the vantage point of my office um, and the window that looks out over kind of my local neighbourhood, or whether it's down at the park, or just generally out and about, watching how people interact, watching the world go by, and watching how people interact with their dogs, and how their dogs interact with each other in an environment, is a huge hobby of mine. Probably a little bit sad, but it absolutely fascinates me. And one of the reasons it fascinates me is, I do like to geek out quite a lot on the kind of... The psychology, the way the brains work, the way we handle kind of emotions and situations. And it's one of those things that I just find absolutely fascinating. Now, probably a little bit of history, which I think for me benefits me with this hobby, is my corporate life. So when I, uh, you know, kind of office job, corporate life, I basically worked in what's probably easiestly described as crisis management. So this was where lots of things were kind of going wrong, things were broken, things were bad, lots of people were very nervous and worried, and part of my job was to kind of create calm and control amongst the chaos. So I've always had this natural ability to to look quite objectively, quite logically at what can be very emotionally driven situations, and it can be a blessing and it can absolutely be a curse as well. Um, but for me, in, in certainly the hobby that I mentioned and working with dogs, I do find it an incredibly useful tool that I have and I'm very, very kind of blessed to have and use as part of my daily life. So I just want to kind of paint a little bit of a picture for you folks. And that is a few things I've watched recently where people have been out in public with their dogs and their dog's emotional state has been quite quite full on. So their their dog has been struggling for, for whatever reason, whether that was environment, whether that was, you know, some stimulus in the environment like dogs or footballs or birds or whatever it might be. But their dog is really struggling to kind of process what's going on, to manage their emotions and as a result are doing behaviours which for the human kind of half of the of the duo is really, really problematic. And what you ultimately see is the the human half kind of getting more frustrated, more annoyed, more embarrassed, this whole flux of emotions that they're going through, which then feeds their behaviour, and funnily enough, the, the two behaviours are ultimately not compatible. So the emotional state the human is in and the behaviour that they're displaying 
and the emotional state of the dog and the behavior they're displaying those two things just aren't working in harmony and as a result it obviously can just it be in this vicious cycle where things go round and round and round until either time or movement happens and you know the situation kind of comes out the other side and people can kind of move on and this is a huge huge aspect of, of dogs and dog training that i come across daily and one that again i encounter with my own dogs as, as we go through any kind of training learning process now i talk about emotional states a lot to my clients and it's quite a difficult concept to get hold of with our kind of human brain and the reason being is depending on your makeup your experiences and all that kind of good stuff we are aware of emotions and we are aware that emotions will cause me to respond react behave potentially in a different way to what i would normally but because that logical thinking part of our brain is so prominent you know it's the thing that makes us human it's very very hard to kind of disconnect that from the emotional side of things and that can we almost um, project that then onto our dogs because we can apply logic and we can see situations and we understand them a little bit more logically then we kind of project that onto our dogs and again get frustrated when they don't see it so i'm going to give you the the kind of spider analogy that i often use with clients when we're talking about this balance in our dog's mind of how emotion versus kind of logical thinking works and why it can be so problematic when it comes to our training when we're trying to work on something or try to achieve a result or a goal and our dogs just don't seem to want to respond or listen or be interested in us whatsoever so it is the spider analogy guys so i am not a big fan of spiders i won't lie um you've probably heard me say it before and you trying to think back and I was trying to reflect whether I've used this analogy on the podcast already and if I have apologies but again it's a brilliant one I do quite like it it does seem to work very well with people and how we can uh, help our training so with me not being a huge fan of spiders what that ultimately means is if I'm around a spider depending on the size its movement um, whether it's contained or not whether I know where it is all these things kind of play into my emotional state and how comfortable or how nervous or how anxious or scared I might be about this thing or the eight-legged friend now interestingly when we when we look at this scenario I often try and then add a, a particular skill into it so the I'm the irony of this is I can't juggle but I use juggling as my kind of go-to example or analogy so juggling is a skill it's something that we learn we practice you get your hand-eye coordination working your fluid movement your muscle memory all that balance and coordination it takes to be able to juggle and people who juggle spend a lot of time effort and energy learning how to do it and how to do it proficiently i haven't done any of that but i want you to imagine i can now that type of skill that mechanical skill of juggling that hand-eye coordination depending on how good you are at it how long you've done it how much you've practiced all those things will ultimately determine how well you can deal with distractions and other things occurring before you start to drop the juggling balls now emotions are one of these things that kick in so i'd like you to picture the scene i'm in a 
a village hall and I'm at one end of the village hall with the juggling balls and I'm juggling. All different flips, tricks, all the things that you know some fantastic jugglers can do and I'm doing all those amazing things. And then somebody walks in the door which is at the exact opposite end of the village hall to me with a giant spider. And that spider is in some kind of container, you know, um, terrarium or whatever it is that those, those big huge spiders like to live in. And they walk into the room. And I can very clearly see that there is a big old spider in that uh, tank. Now, mentally, if we were kind of to pause that, you're going to see kind of the look on my face mid-juggle and me acknowledge that there is now a giant tarantula in a uh, in a terrarium at the other end of the hall. Now, depending on what happens next will ultimately depend on what I do and how well I can keep juggling. So, if that person was to say, Hi Greg, turn around and walk out, I might have been able to maintain my juggling, I might kind of exhale a huge amount of uh, kind of relief air as, um, as as those people leave the building and take the, the spider away with them. Uh, apologies, I should have probably said this up front, but apologies for any arachnophobes who share this, uh, this uh, element of fear or phobia with me. Now the reason I use spiders, and again, I'm kind of bouncing around a little bit here you guys, I'm a bit out of practice, but bear with me. The reason I use kind of spiders and a phobia stroke fear with this is because in terms of how impactful those emotions are to us, they're, they're quite significant. And when it comes to our dogs, the emotions they feel are incredibly significant. So where we might be able to, you know, kind of box an emotion up and deal with it later because we can apply that logic and that thinking part of our brains, dogs can't do that in the same way that we can, and therefore that's why their emotional state can take over very quickly. And fear is a great kind of human example of that because fear is one of those things that we can really struggle to uh, to kind of instinctively and instantly kind of package away and disregard. Kind of if you've got a phobia, if you're scared of something, it tends to take over you or your kind of behaviour pretty quickly. So going back, we're back in the village hall. I'm juggling away. Big sigh of relief as the uh, as the spider has left the building, and then that person comes back in. And they start walking towards me. They've still got the spider in the tank and it's walking towards me. Now, depending on my level of fear or phobia, the fact that it's in a tank will dictate how close they can get to me before my emotional state of fear or phobia is going to take over and result in my inability to juggle because now my mind is very focused on the creature in the tank and juggling the juggling balls is the last thing on my mind. I have no interest in doing it. I might stop juggling and pop them in the pocket. I might just drop them because of how close the uh, that tank is now to me in kind of proximity. And again, another kind of variable on there is speed as well, folks. So if that person has walked really slowly and kind of taken a step and paused for a second or two and then taken another step and paused for a second or two, I'm going to be able to kind of go through that little emotional roller coaster a little bit slower and decide what it is I want to do. I might be able to engage in conversation with that person. And ultimately, I probably will still be able to be juggling as I did this. However, if that person pretty much ran to me with that spider in the tank, 
as I was juggling, I'm fairly sure I would drop the juggling balls pretty quickly, scream and run away pretty fast because I'd be worried that they tripped and it dropped the tank and it smashed and I had a whole home alone thing of a, of a tarantula running around the, uh, the village hall free. So my, my kind of what ifs and my fears are going to kick in even quicker because the speed of movement towards me is going to obviously impact my decision making because my emotional state is going to take over much, much quicker. So you can play around with all these variables in this environment and how it would impact my ability to continue juggling. So what happens if that person moved from side to side? So and kind of zigzagged their way to me. So rather than walk directly at me, what happens if that person just walked halfway down and sat on a chair with the tank on their lap? What if the person got the spider out of the tank and held it in their hands? And what if they did that whilst walking towards me or running at me or all the various different things you can think about, about how that person might handle that tarantula, that tank, that room, their speed and direction of movement. All of these things are, are a key factor in my ability to think logically or whether the emotion of my kind of fear, my anxiety kicks in and therefore that practical skill of juggling is going to go out the window pretty quick and I'm going to run away or hit the person or do something that's quite instinctive and driven by my emotional state rather than that kind of logical thinking part of my brain. And this is effectively what happens with our dogs a lot. Now, whether they're dealing with excitement, whether they're dealing with anxiety, whether they're dealing with fear or trauma, the emotional state of your dog affects their ability to do those skills. And those skills are the things that we would usually deem as kind of good dog stuff, whether that's sitting still or walking nicely on a lead or listening and recalling when you would like them to. They are effectively, you know, kind of the dog equivalent of juggling. They are things that we have taught them. They are not things that a lot of dogs will do naturally or instinctively because they're, they're dogs and they want to you know, live their own life and not kind of follow all of our instructions all of the time. So even though the, the loose lead walking or the recall or the sitting nicely or lying down and staying still, whatever it might be that we would like our dog to do in different situations, when their emotional state starts to take over, doing that thing that we've taught them and hopefully taught them very well using all the positive reinforcement training will still go out of the window and this is where you see so much conflict out and about and potentially even with your own training where you feel like you kind of hit brick walls and you really struggle with things now there's lots of methods and techniques to obviously to get over these things and to move through them but the key thing is to kind of acknowledge it. First, we absolutely have to understand that our dogs are going through that emotion, whatever the emotion is. And as a result, their ability to kind of engage the thinking part of the brain is, is basically just not going to happen until something changes. So going back to that analogy and something changing, the person walks in with the, you know, the spider in the tank. I'm juggling. They stand at the door. They say hello to me and they leave. So the situation's changed, which means I can relax a little bit and I can get back to doing what I was doing without too much worry. Or is there too much worry? Think about it. If that person had just left with a, you know, a spider, something I'm not a fan of, would I go straight back to juggling like nothing's ever happened? Or would my mind kind of be going, 
I wonder if they're going to come back. Ooh, how big was that spider? Where's it going? What have they done with it? Or is my mind going to start to kind of deviate to all these different things? Now, I'm not saying that this happens in our dogs, because to be honest, I don't know. Um, but it, I can't say it wouldn't surprise me. Based on what I see with my own dogs um, and other people's dogs, they they will get kind of distracted. So even though the moment might have passed, you can tell that their emotional state is still in play. So if I pick up my Betty Boo, for example, um, when she's having a bad day where she's not really loving other dogs in the environment, if she encounters one at a distance and doesn't do any of her kind of go-to behaviours of wanting to shout at them and tell them to go away, she will then become a little bit more vigilant. I can see her body language will tense, she scans the environment a lot more. So even though she hasn't had a, you know, kind of quote-unquote reaction to the other dog, her emotional state has changed and therefore her behaviour has changed. Even though there is no dogs in the environment, her mindset is still very much, you know, focused on what-ifs and what happens if, you know, she's looking for the, uh, for the other dogs. And that would be very similar to me in that scenario with a spider leaving the um, the village hall and then I would be worried about them coming back or what happens if I leave and they're right outside that door when I get there and and then I can just start to snowball and obviously quickly my emotions will take over again and my emotions are taking over now because of the way my mind is working and all the thoughts that I might be having about it. So when we talk about emotional states in dogs this is why it's so important because no amount of me losing my cool with my dog trying to use my quality reinforcement based training is going to work because my dog literally isn't in a for to humanize it a little bit they're not in a rational frame of mind think about it if and i'm fairly confident listeners of this podcast would have seen this um and this isn't about judgment or or, or kind of blame or anything but i've absolutely seen somebody with their dog their dog is clearly uncomfortable getting very distressed barking spinning lunging and that person is there effectively screaming at their dog to get them to calm down now there's a huge oxymoron in that picture anyway about the very emotional response from the human to the dog and expecting calmness off the back of that but again we appreciate emotion it can be quite hard to manage but if I'm there screaming at my dog, asking them to calm down, trying to get them to sit, trying to get them to look at me, trying to get them to turn around, if I'm trying to get them to do an action which is for my benefit that doesn't complement the action that my dog wants to do because of their emotional state, then I'm in conflict again and I'm not going to get the results. And this is where, with a lot of our training, we can really, really struggle, you know, because um, a classic line I will get from a client is, um, you know, I, I try food and they're really good and they'll take treats and they'll take food-based rewards until, excuse me, until X. And, you know, X might be another dog or a cyclist or whatever it might be. And that's because that dog's emotional state flips and, again, practicing the behavior of whatever it was that you wanted your dog to do with that food reward now isn't worth it in the same way that going back to the spider analogy 
there's going to be scenarios where as I'm kind of if I'm juggling and somebody walks in with a tarantula that's not in the tank and they start walking towards me back to what I mentioned before my my kind of instinctive response to my emotional state is probably going to be quite primal it's going to be kind of pretty much fight or flight and that's going to be dictated on what are my options available so if I've got this entire village hall to move around I might be able to kind of give that person a wide berth and run past them with you know lots and lots of space between me and them and get out one of the other doors in the village hall amazing However, if I'm in a corner of that room and that person runs directly at me, I might struggle to actually get past them without actually getting closer to them. And therefore now my ability to run and my flight aspect is now massively limited, which now means I'm probably going to be getting ready to fight, which might be to punch them or slap their hand away from me or whatever it is if they're trying to shove the spider in my face. So again, my behavior now is not thought about in the same way that it would be if I can clearly make those decisions slowly I'm now in a situation where my emotion and my fear and my phobia is taking over and I'm now reacting accordingly I might be screaming I might be frailing my arms around I might be climbing on furniture I might be screaming at that person and go away I'll stop and ultimately I will kind of flight i'll run i'll try and get away i might end up fighting but the other one might be kind of what's often referred to as freeze so if that person kept coming at me and i'm in the corner and i can't kind of get away from them and fight isn't something isn't my go-to behavior either what i might do is cower down and cry and shake and hope it all stops and goes away pretty soon And again, this is really, really similar to what we can see with our dogs. That fight, flight, freeze, emotional response to very kind of stressful or high emotional situations or environments is is massive. And we see it quite a lot. So the reason I want to cover this in a podcast, guys, um, is because if you're ever experiencing that if you're ever in a situation where you can clearly see your dog is responding to a situation and it might not be that negative emotion guys it might not be you know kind of fear or phobia or anxiety or stress it might be excitement your dog might lose their mind over something and get so giddy and so excited that again they can't think so that excitement is driving their behavior they're not able to kind of you know engage the brain in the same way and therefore they're just basically ignoring you and not paying any attention to you. So it doesn't matter what spectrum of the emotional kind of scale they're on, if that emotional response is big enough, their training will you know, will go downhill and they're not going to respond to it in the same way. So if that feels like you, if you have your dog who you know will get kind of what the fantastic trainer calls Tagnus, Tass Nichols calls big emotions, those big emotional responses to situations and you're really struggling on how to handle them, the first thing we have to work on is the emotional state. This isn't about getting my dog to do perfect lead walking or recall or X, Y or Z. What I need to work on is how my dog feels about that thing or that environment or that situation first. Because if they can't 
manage their emotions they're not going to be able to engage their kind of thinking part of their brain and then do all the other stuff that we would like them to do so i'm going to go back to me and that spider situation imagine a situation where we're back in that village hall i'm juggling i'm stood at one end of the village hall and that person comes in with the spider in the tank and they come through the main door that's at the opposite end of the halls to me and they take a seat by that door and they sit there for 10 seconds and they get up and leave and they tell me as they're leaving that they might be back they might not be and then a minute later they come back in and sit back down in the same chair and they keep that going they keep that repetition of kind of coming in sitting down getting up going out coming in sitting down getting up going out and all the time i'm there juggling at the other end of the hall now through that repetition and nothing changing you know they're not coming closer they're not taking the spider out of the tank or doing any of the other things that we discussed earlier i might actually start to be able to kind of relax not massively but i might because there's an element of predictability now that I might be able to start to go okay nothing bad's happened I know what's going on that person's coming in going out coming in going out and I can continue juggling without any kind of you know adverse impacts now we're into training now we're into that situation where we are working with Greg's emotional state about being able to do that skill in the presence of something that triggers quite a strong emotional response from him. And then we can start to play around with all those variables. And why, when I say play around, guys, I'm not saying we just kind of wing it. There is a bit of science and there's a bit of an art to doing this. And if you're working with a great trainer, they will absolutely be able to talk you through it. But what we would start to do is look at all those variables of movement, speed, position in the room, you know, kind of is a tarantula in the tank out the tank all that kind of stuff and we can play around and you can imagine the almost unlimited combinations that you could be working with here and it's all about creating an environment where i can be comfortable and can still juggle and that's the goal that's what we're wanting to do we want greg to stand in that village hall and juggle regardless of the spider and therefore we need to make sure that greg is super comfortable with all those different variables and permutations of those variables to allow him to juggle and the goal might be that that person can sit in the front row seats of my little juggling show with a tarantula in their hand and I can still comfortably and calmly juggle that might be my end goal but that's going to take a lot of practice and a lot of work to ensure that we can achieve it heaven forbid someone brings two tarantulas in and there's two different people with two different spiders that's another whole kettle of fish and a lot more training but you can quickly see why it can be challenging and why it can be honestly frustrating at times to work through these variables and work through these permutations of the variables to get the results. But the key bit is here, guys, is it's about not only the result, but it's the longevity of that result. And when you're working to address the emotional state properly, that is ultimately what you're doing. You are working about that kind of long term success. You know, if someone strapped me in a chair and made me juggle and did a I'm a celebrity, get me out of here style, just pour a load of spiders on Greg, the chances are, I actually, I can't f- flee because I'm, I'm tied to the chair. My juggling's probably going to stop pretty quickly. And 
I can't fight either, so I'm probably going to freeze and I'm probably going to cry and I'm going to get all upset and all unnecessary. And the spiders might land on me and then they all dissipate or get collected up or whatever happens. And guess what? I didn't die. Uh, hopefully I didn't. I might not have had a heart attack, but um, hopefully I survive it. And then somebody comes over and goes, see, wasn't that bad. Nothing happened, did it? Yeah, something quite significant happened and I'm traumatised now and I hate those spider things even more. Interestingly though, that is our most common go-to mindset being human. That almost in at the deep end, sink or swim type mentality. And if that's you, if that's someone you love, a family member or relative, try and think of it in this context. Try and find out what is it that you know would make them uncomfortable and would you willingly want to subject them to that thing in a very horrific um kind of concentration of exposure in a hope that they just get over it because i'm fairly confident any rational compassionate person in the world won't and that's kind of what we want to do with our dogs we don't want to just throw them at the deep end and hope they do all right and the reason we don't want to do that guys is that freeze that i mentioned before why this is so dangerous with our dogs is freeze can almost look like good behavior and i say good you know with the invisible air quotes guys because if you imagine, I'm going to use the kind of dog-to-dog reactivity example. So I've got a dog and somebody tells me the best thing I can do to help my dog get over their reactivity to other dogs is expose them to lots and lots of dogs. Take them down the park, you know, peak time. Take them to doggy daycare where all the dogs run around and have a great time together. Or whatever it might be where I get a large concentration of dogs which are you know, potentially on lead, off lead, or a combination of the two. And my dog gets there, and they might go through that repertoire. They might try and flight. So they might be pulling at the end of the lead, spinning, lunging, doing all those kind of things. They might be barking. They might be trying that kind of front it up, that fight scenario of reacting kind of outwardly and very verbally. And they might snap their teeth, do all that kind of stuff. Now, again, guys, just imagine the emotional state of your dog to be doing this behaviour. But more on that in a moment. And then eventually my dog kind of just has to go into freeze because the other two options aren't working. So what my dog does is go quiet, stops moving so much, and just kind of stands there or walks with me. And, well, perfect, right? There's my dog walking with me, not reacting to other dogs. Is that trained? Is that learning? Or is that dog just going into one of those kind of standard um, kind of biological responses that a lot of us living creatures have to these stressful situations? And this is where it can be slightly misleading because our perception of the result or the perception of the, the behavior isn't necessarily linked to your dog's emotional state. We often refer to this as flooding. So, um, again, because I like to try and use analogies to bring this to life, um, probably it's a, it's a, um, a, a sad themed analogy, but if you've ever been upset and cried and cried and cried until you can't cry anymore, so there's no more tears, there's maybe a little bit of sniffling, 
you know the breathing still out of control and you just can't physically release that sad emotion out of your body anymore just because you're not crying and you're not doing all of those kind of behaviors that go with crying doesn't mean that you're not sad anymore it doesn't mean that you're still not upset it just means that physically you can't show it in the same way that you could five minutes ago five hours ago and that's quite similar to kind of what happens in flooding very loosely there guys but this is kind of a good way to think of it if i've barked and barked and barked and can't bark anymore and i give up on my barking it doesn't mean that my dog still doesn't feel the same way it did that made it bark in the first place it just can't express it in the same way anymore because either it's just all out of bark or because it's just not working and it's not changing the situation and those scary things are still around me and I'm going into this kind of helpless state and repetitive kind of that uh, taking that approach and doing it repetitively um, can create something what we call learned helplessness which is where your dog has learned that no amount of their reaction is going to change the situation and therefore they just got to accept it and again it doesn't change how they feel not necessarily so if I expose my dog to lots of dogs day in day out week in week out and after a couple of weeks I'm like wow look at my dog they they they're cured of reactivity because they no longer bark lunge and spin and snap at any dog when they see them I would have a strong suspicion that that dog still feels the same way that they do or the same way that they did weeks prior before you started this approach however what they've learned is that basically they are helpless they can't do anything none of their behaviors are going to get them out of that situation and therefore they've just got to basically shut down and accept it that's a horrible emotional state to be in and that's why if you're working with a really good trainer who's talking to you about emotional states their dogs it's why it's so important because our strive for the the behavior how things look can sometimes come at the expense of how your dog feels and i haven't met anybody yet who hasn't got a dog in their life because they don't want to love it give it the best life possible make it the happiest dog in the world it's very easy to kind of fall down that rabbit hole and have the behavior outweigh the emotional state of your dog because of benefits ultimately to us and not the dog and that's a very slippy slope but one many of us sadly can just fall into not by choice just by accident often because the behavior is the thing we see behavior is what our dog expresses how they act you know the things that they do when they feel a certain way so no amount of loose lead walking is going to help my dog you know loose lead walking training sorry is going to help my dog if my dog can't manage its emotions and be comfortable around certain things and that is the big challenge with all training guys and where the kind of training behavior overlap starts to happen so emotional states and spiders guys hopefully that all makes sense again bit rusty folks so hopefully it wasn't uh, too unhinged this was completely unscripted as you can probably tell and i just kind of dive straight into it 
But that's what I want you to think about, folks. If you are working with a dog, if you have your own dog, if friends or family, you've got dogs who you know have these very big emotional responses to situations, whether they are positive or negative emotions or kind of indifferent emotions, but ones that seem to prevent the dog doing the thing that you would like them to do. Look at their emotions. What emotion do I think it is? You might not be able to find out for definite, but you probably can make a good guess based on their behaviour. And then based on that emotional state, that's where you can start to look at, well, what's causing the emotional state? And how do I start to help my dog feel differently about those things? That might be, how do I help calm the excitement? How do I help build their confidence around this? How do I help build their their fear or anxiety response around certain things. But when you do it, guys, you've got to remember to take it slow and step by step. No dog is the same in the same way. No human is the same. So me with my spiders, the approach somebody might take with me to get over my fear of spiders and be able to juggle in the town hall with 50 people sat there holding tarantulas wouldn't be the same as it would be for somebody else who has the same phobia. Because how comfortable I get around the training is going to be different to how they do. And again, this is where the skills of a good trainer, good behaviourist or whoever you're working with will come into hand because they will be able to help you read your dog and plan a journey that should be able to effectively slowly build your dog up, but successfully. None of that deep end stuff, a proper, sustainable, manageable change of emotion about those triggers. So folks, that's going to be it for episode 32. Thank you so much for coming back and listening. I really, really love to have you here. Um, if there's specific specific topics you'd like me to cover, you know where to get me the details at the end of the podcast. But for now, thank you very much to listen to my all about me, my inability to juggle and my fear of spiders. And until next time, folks, take care. Goodbye. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to the Woofing Possum podcast. As always, if you do want to get in touch, you can find us on social media. I'm at Great Pause NE, which is Great Pause NE for Northeast, on both Facebook and Instagram. You can also contact me via my website, which is greatpause.co.uk. And you can also consume some free online courses at greatpausegang.co.uk. Excellent. Thank you very much, folks, and we will see you soon for our next episode.